Well, welcome to CarCast and Edmonds podcast, uh, the first uh, show of the year, 2024. Um, Alistair, how are you? I'm good. Happy New Year. Matt, happy New Year, everybody. Survivor trip? Uh, Just about. Been in Europe for a couple of weeks. Uh, 11 hours back with two tiny children. Was entertaining on the flight, but uh, now they've got massive amounts of jet lag. So it's amazing how productive you can be at like four o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, like if you'd, if you'd been in my house two mornings ago at sort of 3.30 a.m., my wife was baking and I was busy taking a Christmas tree down because <laughs> nobody would sleep. So yeah. it's all fun. It was nice to get back to Europe. Um, why'd you put up a Christmas tree if you guys went to uh, Europe for most of it? Oh, we just put it up like straight after Thanksgiving. So we just shuffled <laughs> everything forwards. But it looked a bit sorry for itself by the time we got home. <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, uh, yeah, happy new year. Welcome back. Hope everybody had a good trip. Um, as you guys are starting to see, we are attempting to put the podcast up in its video format on YouTube now. Uh, and we're going to make some improvements and stuff over time. We're going to pop in occasionally to the Edmund studio, but uh, this is something that we're going to be doing here. We're going to be doing with Goldberg and adding some more stuff to the channel as well. Um, I just, the, need, the clothing, the just need the stylist, the clothing allowance, the makeup artist. Yeah. Uh, listen, the, the more you watch the videos, the more maybe we'll be able to to, to fix up the videos. But um, as I mentioned in the first episode that we brought back with Goldberg um, this past week, uh, we're also going to dive into some feature cars and some of the project builds. And you can see kind of peeking over my shoulder. That's the Ford Lightning that... We're doing a wheel and tire package on, and we've been examining for possibly lowering the vehicle. Now that I've had it for a year, um, it's time to personalize it, have some fun with it. And then we'll dig into some of the other car projects and stuff that we have around there, the 2021 Mustang Mach 1, the Mustang Cobra, the SAC car, and and some other stuff. Um, and we also invite you to please subscribe to this channel, but subscribe to the Edmunds YouTube channel as well. Uh, and Goldberg's Garage. I think between these three video channels, we should be able to cover enough automotive content that you won't ever have to watch another YouTube channel again. <laughs> but uh, uh, but you're, I guess you're, you're you're welcome to. So, um, kicking things off, you got back into town, um, and then immediately started to uh, jump into a Bentley and said, you know, I'm gonna because you just spent all this time in the UK. Might as well hop into a Bentley and use that as your as your as your test driver for the week. <laughs> it was like one night only, to be fair, and it was uh yes, it <laughs> well, was straight the first out night of, back. <laughs> it was straight out of economy class with two small children into a three hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar Bentley. I, I, I mean, I, I love. I, I've driven before, so I've driven a lot of the the Bentleys over the years. This was a uh, this was a Flying Spur S. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. It's a, it's a beautiful way to travel. I can't imagine, no matter how much money I had, and I know that you know as you go on in life and hopefully you earn a bit more money, then you you know your sort of aspirations change. I can't imagine ever spending three hundred and fifty grand on one. But it is. Well, a, I mean, you could lease it for like ten grand a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah, and maybe and maybe you've got so much money that's because, but it's. It's a beautiful way to travel. It really is. I drove yeah. it home. I drove it into work, and the ride quality is wonderful. It's just the the fit and finish and the feel of the materials, just because they've got more license to play with higher quality materials, the leathers and the uh, 
you know, the little aluminium, the little little heat events and things like that. It's a be- it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful way to travel. But we were we were always playing that game going through the options list, and there were some really choice items on this. This was in full kind of rap star spec, so a yeah. really kind of vibrant blue, and it had this. I'm going to put it on my um my Instagram channel, which is at Weaver on Cars. But it had this little. It's got a Bentley badge. You know they have the little B that goes up and down out of the bonnet. Yeah, out of, out like, of the hood. Like, sorry, the like hood. Like what Rolls Royce does with with their spirit of ecstasy, if they still have that. I guess they have it as an option. Comes in pops up yeah 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 uh, and this was i've been in europe for three weeks i'm saying hurt i'm saying bonnet instead of hurt but there you go uh so this is a i've never seen this before so this thing traditionally goes up and down out of the hood but this thing well, not only was matte black but was illuminated and i've uh, never i've never seen this before i mean this is this is like and then i looked at the the options price and now i've lost it as i'm talking to you Oh, there we go. Illuminated Flying Bee Radiator Mascot in black gloss. How much? I mean, I have it in front of me, but uh, if I had to guess, I, I that's a tough one. You'd, you'd be like, ah, it's expensive. It's going to be $1,200. Um, but no, sir. It is $5,060. Plus tax. <laughs> plus, plus that. Plus gas guzzler tax on top of that. Um, yeah, the it, options list is 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 pretty incredible. I was I was looking at some of the the things on here, and you know it's interesting because you go, oh, we're gonna get the twenty two inch wheels, and this is a the twenty two inch wheels painted black, right? Um, and it's I don't know, it's about thirty seven hundred bucks, and I've seen this before going uh, options on cars, Porsche, Range Rover, anything, and go, well, did that feels like the price of what a set of wheels would cost. So did you not get wheels with the vehicle and you, you opted for the 20, like if you order the vehicle and you don't get the optional 22s, does it still say 20 inch wheels for $2,800 and 22s are 3,700 or is it included? Is there a wheel that's included is what I'm saying versus it always takes me. Takes you back to the 1980s. My dad b- bought Mercedes E classes, and it was like his pride and joy. But in those days in the UK, they sold it without a stereo. So the the argument was always that well, actually, people want to you know choose a choose a hi fi system that they that they want. But my yeah. dad was like really you know my dad was a bit tired, not much of a music lover. So we ended up with this kind of 1970s radio that he just transferred from vehicle to vehicle. So this was a company car and we all loved the radio, but it, but it was like, took me about 15 years to get into upgrade to something that at least had like, you know, LCD display or something. And yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. I mean, I was looking at it. It's, I mean, I know this is like always the game with these cars and you have to kind of like mentally think about them in a different way because they are a luxury good. They're not really a car in a traditional sense, but like the touring specification, we, you and I were looking this up as we came on air and it's like 8,800 bucks. And that's things like cruise control and lane change assist, which you would expect on a 20 grand on a 20 grand Nissan. So you've got to have that mood yeah. lighting specification. Now mood lighting is, is pretty much on everything these days. That's twenty six hundred. Um, I mean, you mentioned I, the stereo. The stereo is ninety one hundred bucks on this car, but yeah, it would have been awesome, funny if though. it was if it was if there was no stereo, like you were saying. Like, no, no there's no radio at yeah. all. And if you want it, it's ninety one hundred bucks. 
<laughs> but it's not. And it's it, it's the upgrade that's ninety one hundred bucks. And you can either have the standard one, or you can have a Bang and Olufsen one, or you can have the Naim or name however you pronounce it for ninety one hundred. But but it sounds awesome, and it has these little fires that basically give you a give you the the sort of um, the sensation of, of 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 the noise as well. So a BMW has done this as well, but it gives you a little bit of kind of vibration through the seat and everything else. So you feel the sound and it is mega. I have like a little playlist that I use so I can compare different hi-fi systems. And yeah, it's very cool, but it is nine. Okay. So just over nine grand. What is the styling specification? These there's two big line items here, which I'm curious about styling specification. It's already a gorgeous car. It's got all the, the, you know, the S trim, bits and pieces yeah. to it what's 12 and a half grand so my i believe that is like front splitter rear spoiler it's like little aerodynamic addendum and then on top of that on our car you've got carbon you've got a uh, carbon fiber um car well carbon fiber was inside but then the carbon uh, fiber body kit with the blue accent striping and oh the, yes, it, that's what it, I'm looking at. That's the right? 15 grand. That one's 15 so I, grand. So if you spent if you spent 12 and a half grand on a styling specification and then another 15 grand on the exterior carbon fiber pieces, uh, I mean seems like <laughs> seems like quite a bit there, but I don't know. I it you you know if you're buying this car, you're going, I want all of the options. I want I want to you know, you want a $241,000 car that you add $110,000, $115,000 worth of options onto. Yeah. And and well, the one thing that grates me is where you've got things that you would just expect to have, like lane change assist or cruise control. I mean, like Porsche as well. If you get a standard 911, the standard high final 911 is terrible. So you basically have to upgrade to the Bose. And then if you want to go further, upgrade the Baumeister. And I guess Bentley's doing the same thing. But when you add it all together, so the standard price of the car is 241 grand the total option cost on hours 114 grand <laughs> then you are so you arrive at 355 to which you add destination charge 3100 i always i know everybody charges destination charge but that always winds you up as well it's like can i come and pick it up then yeah. for free can i come <laughs> to crew and pick it up for free so 3100 for that and then also gas guzzler tax a thousand dollars which uh, so that brings you basically to three hundred and sixty grand for the car, but it's a lovely thing. It's it's it is. You, it's a lovely thing. You know when when the Bugatti Veyron came out, we we were getting into this, and then I think I spoke to Craig Jackson from Bear Jackson. He he brought his Veyron over to the studio at one point, and he bought it at his auction, and somebody was actually really driving it and driving it from Vegas to Arizona or something like that, and. You know, I had some some rock chips and things like that. So he did some work on it, emblem, windshield. He had to do a few things on his car. And he talked about how expensive it was. And it, it started getting me thinking about, like, when you get into these supercars that are million, 1.5 million, 1.8 million, $2 million, when somebody goes to order that car, they're excited about getting the car and spending that kind of money and optioning it out with a lot of cool stuff. And then there's a lot of complaining about the maintenance costs and the 
$15,000 brake pads and the $1,200 battery that says VW on it. And it's the same as a, you know, as a hundred dollar battery. And, and so my thought was, I think on those cars, let's, let's, I don't know what the, the price point is million dollars or more, maybe, maybe something like this, but let's say million dollars or more a car. I don't think the buyer is going to throw a fit if you said now it's $1.2 million, but warranty, maintenance, everything is included. Just charge them up front in the sticker price. Just include it in the price and go, here's the beauty of owning a Bugatti Veyron. You'll never have to spend a dime on it again, right? Everything, oil changes, brake pads, everything's included. And just charge a couple of hundred thousand dollars up front. I bet it would be the best selling supercar because it's the $30,000 brake job or whatever that you don't want to do. You don't want to spend $10,000 because you have a, a chip in your windshield. You know, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I was looking, I always look at it in the classic car market. As you know, I'm fortunate to have a, uh, a 993 911. And the reality is it doesn't actually cost, A, it's appreciating and B, it doesn't cost much to run because there's a massive support infrastructure. Porsche is really good at supporting it too. But I always want if I, if I, I was always wanted a Ferrari five nine nine, you know the front engine V twelve GT. Yeah, love that car. Part, partly because I drove one years ago across South America. Ferrari did this big expedition. I drove it. I was drove it across Bolivia and had an amazing trip. So it's got this kind of emotional attachment to it. And at the moment, there there was one over Christmas went for like a hundred and sixty grand, hundred fifty sixty grand. They're actually much cheaper than the five fifty Maranello, which has has got crazy money, which is manual, which was the stick shift. But then you start looking at 599s and thinking, they're like, I was looking at one and it's got the carbon ceramic brakes. You're like, oh, and then it's got flappy paddle gearbox. That's that, that single clutch system. And I was like, oh, so even if you could say like, I'm going to find some money and I'm going to buy this, you're just looking at it thinking this is a, this is just going to be a money pit. Yeah. And I always remember a friend of mine bought a 550 Marinello in 2008 at the height, just once the crash happened, I think he paid like forty thousand pounds, what fifty thousand bucks. So he's made a fortune on the car. But I remember saying to me, the the little rubber around the headlights perished. And I was like, oh, that's right. you know. He's like, no, it's only Ferrari make like the little rubber around the headlight, and it was like a thousand bucks. Yeah, <laughs> and and it was it was a two dollar part, but it was like you have to buy the Ferrari one because it has to fit, and it's a thousand bucks. So. That's the problem with all this stuff. So you've just got, and that's also why a lot of these Bentleys, uh, you know, like some of the depreciation is pretty high because you're getting into a market where people, you know, if you're buying, that's why if you're buying it for like 50 grand or whatever, a few years down the line, you don't want, you don't want all the service charges. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's expensive. And Ferrari's always been kind of notorious for that, you know, with timing belt changes and things like that. Engine's got to come out of the car, but I mean, that's, I don't know. I guess that's just part of the experience of being a Ferrari owner. And I, we're just picking on Ferrari, but there's a lot more than, than, than Ferrari. You know, I spent my life trying to do like sensible things, sensible investments, and I've never bought something stupid. <laughs> and I feel at some point in my life, I need to have that experience. <laughs> like buying a classic 911 is not a stupid purchase because they don't depreciate and they're quite cheap to run and they're awesome. Buying like a used V12 Ferrari definitely falls into that category. Yeah, and so, I want one so badly. <laughs> and I want one so badly. Um, and I want a V12 because I think they're a little bit oh, more yeah. kind of considered than the... Uh, and like, I'd love a 458, uh, the V8. That's the V8 I would buy, last naturally aspirated. 
or a three five five, but they're a ton of money, ton of money to run. Um, but yeah, like a five nine nine would be a, would be an amazing car. hundred percent agree. I was always a sucker for the long nose front engine, sort of front mid engine of Ferraris, and and I I know someone go ah it doesn't perform as well. It's not a four five eight. It's not a four eighty eight. It's like I know, but it's so pretty and it's V twelve and it sounds amazing and that's what I want. So. Uh, and the image is a bit that like, I don't know. There's something about like the V8 Ferrari. I don't, it depends where you live in the world, but in LA or something, I think I just feel more comfortable <laughs> in a V12. I don't know what I don't know. I don't understand. Say anything inappropriate, but it just there is a sort of it's a more of a kind of more of a thoughtful choice, shall we say? Yeah, I, I you're right. I see way more of the <clears throat> of the V8s. Uh, actually, the one to buy is the 612. I spent a lot of time in a 612. Scaglietti. Yeah. And they were the two plus two and two plus two Ferraris never held their value. And it was always seen as not particularly pretty car, but I actually think it's aged pretty well. And they are much more affordable. Yeah. You get an FF with a 12. Yeah. You get an FF family, family friendly. Yeah. I actually drove one of those. I liked it. I I like the car. It's kind of, kind of goofy looking, but cool. Yeah. When Get I saw it in a discreet it, color. When I saw it, um, I was like, oh, this is the the bigger Ferrari version of the BMW M Coupe. You know, that looks like a shoe. Yeah, like the clown shoe car. Yeah. yeah. But I always I always liked that car too. I was so close to buying one of those cars. I drove the coupe and then I drove the convertible, the the M, um, before I bought my 99 M3. I ended up buying the 99 M3, but I drove the little one first and uh, it, it, it just didn't have some of the build quality and, um, I drove one with a dine-in package on it. So it was, it was a little faster and it was a little tighter overall. And I was at a dealer down in like Escondido, like San Diego ish area. And we put the top down on the M roadster and he's like, go ahead, open it up. I was with a salesman and, uh, this one was used a little bit, but it was a dining package and I got on it and I shifted hard. I did the one, two shift and the one, two shift. Uh, when I shifted to the second, the gear knob came off the lever and I threw it and it launched out <laughs> the back of the vehicle. So we were driving one, two, boom, popped off and just flew. And he's like, yeah, that, comes off and i was like all right what else you got the dealer lot yeah. what else you got over there and i ended up just getting the brand new m3 and 99 at the time the e36 but um jo- jonathan alfada had a testing at edwards he's got the m coupe and uh, he's got a, like a, a roof rack on it as well which makes it look very cool so he can put a surfboard on and i i actually did i'm so old now that i did the original road test back in 98 i remember driving one from munich back to london and at the time they were like they weren't that loved sort of as a thing because they had the old E30, E33 series back end. And, but it was a skunkworks car. It was all done as a sort of after hours from a few enthusiasts within the factory and then kind of revealed to management and decided to build it. So there's a really cool story behind those things and they are quite cool today. Yeah, they are cool today. And I'm, it, that's another car that's like high up on Adam Carolla's list. Like we've always talked about that car and he was just, he always had something for that car. He's like, it's just a cool piece. And I the think problem for- is he probably wouldn't fit. Cause if you like, I, if you're six, four, yeah. like I am, you basically don't fit. 
Yeah. I, uh, I don't recall if he ever had one. Um, he had his E46 with the built motor and the supercharger that never ran well and it took me forever to fix it, but I got it fixed. Then sold it's it. a bit like the Z8, the Henrik Fisker design car. You know, that yeah. that I remember at the time where it was based on an M5 and wasn't actually that nice to drive. But today it just looks so cool. Man, I remember when that car came out, um, uh, a guy I know, he was like, I love the Aston Martin so much, but the Z8 is gorgeous. And um, he ended up getting the Aston Martin, like the last of the DB7 uh, convertible. I still has it. And just over the years, just always put the top down, just drove it all the time during the summer. And over the years, just keep putting a new top on it because it gets all... And I was like, it's a gorgeous car, but talk about the wrong decision. DB7 versus the Z8. Look at the values of that Z8 now versus that DB7. I don't think you can give that DB7 away, but that Z8 just keeps popping up at auction after auction, pulling the, good money. The yeah. best the best way I heard of yeah. Yuha Kankinen was World Rally Champion a few times back in the 80s. I lived, lived through the whole Group B area. I went to see his place in Finland because he has an epic car collection. I had a whole bunch of Ferraris and Lancia Integrales and yeah. some old rally cars, Group B rally cars and stuff. And I did it. This is going back years and years. I did a feature on it. And he told me that when he won the World Rally Championship for Lancia, because they were part, Ferrari was part of the group at the time, they said, they basically said to him, right, what Ferrari do you want as a thank you? And this was in the days of the F40. And I think he chose a 512TR because he lived in Monaco and wanted to use it a bit. Yeah. And then he sort of said to me, like, I realized that that was like the worst financial decision of my life. So I bought an F40 just so I could feel better about it. <laughs> it like, yeah, but now the 512TR is going up. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. Um, <laughs> the sad thing yeah. was he didn't really drive them, but it was a cool, he's got a, and he, he could actually take out a Group B rally car and drive it around like his house and slide it around. It's, it's a very cool trip. Nice. In Finland? In Finland, yeah. It's like, be awesome to have a track back there. Um, okay, I want to shift gears a little bit here. I want to talk about the uh, the Chevy Blazer EV. You guys got a Chevy Blazer, did not have a good time with it. Um, apparently, word spread about that. And uh, I don't know if it's just because of you guys or what, but the uh, GM has just stopped everything. They're like, you can't, don't sell it. Stop making it. We gotta we gotta go kind of back to the drawing board. So ex explain a little bit like what's going on with that car. What what did you guys experience? Yeah. So as if you're a regular listener, you'll know that we buy up a bunch of cars and run them on a long-term basis. And we bought a Blazer EV because it's a super interesting car. It's not the first one, but it's the first Chevy on the um on the Ultium platform. So just for background without getting too sort of geeky about it, GM has developed this Ultium technology which will underpin all of their electric cars and they by 2035 want to go all ev so this is a really big deal for them and this is not just cars suvs it's also the trucks like the silverado ev and so we were really interested to buy up one of the one of the first and the blazer ev generally has been pretty well received as a vehicle um and so we we went out and bought one but then we've had a bunch of, of sort of extraordinary issues with it a lot to do with infotainment a lot to do with charging and we took it back to a dealership and basically said look you know what's wrong with this and they came back with a total of 23 different error codes which in our experience is more than we've uh more than we've ever experienced in any vehicle ever 
And if you look at, if you just Google sort of Edmunds Blazer, uh, Blazer EV, this will this will this will pop up. But we've only done sixteen hundred miles on the odometer, um, and it's now back in a dealership, and it's been in a dealership for about three weeks, and they're trying to build in a new sensor, but we don't actually know when we're getting the vehicle back. So we started reporting on this, and we got a huge pickup across the web. And another publication also had an issue. Inside EV has had an issue with a, a similar thing with the infotainment breaking down. So we've had conversations with GM, uh, all very amicably. Obviously, they're working hard to fix the fault. Uh, in our case, they actually flew an engineer down from Detroit to to the dealership to try and fix it. Uh, but they issued this stop sale notification. So as things stand, you can't currently buy. Um, you can't currently buy a, a Blazer EV. And we're also hearing that this applies to a lot of the other vehicles like the Cadillac Lyric, which are based on on the same technology. So it's 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 not good. Suboptimal. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the, the shared platform um, with Cadillac as well. I want to say. And Honda. The yeah, Honda the, Prologue. The, yeah. Yeah. And the upcoming Acura. Um, what are they calling the ZDX? Yeah, the, the 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 first EV Acura. Yeah, yeah, uh, kind of a sh- shared platform there as well. I I guess I'm curious as to the process now. It's like, how does a vehicle with so many potential issues make it to the dealership? You know, like how does it make it out of the factory? Uh, and it just feels like we're over that, you know, before the big bailouts of all the car companies, I get it. The idea was for a company like GM to go, we're going to release 50 new models of vehicles this year. And there's 12 of them are a huge hit. That's enough for us to make money. Right. And then you couldn't really do that anymore. Everything had to become better. You know, we're like, we, we can't release 50 models. We can release 20 and they all have to be good. We can't make junk anymore. Like, there needs to be some level of quality financially. It's not a, it's not a, Hey, we're, you know, 12 out of 50 is enough profit for us to be fine, but there's just so much backlash, especially with in, in, in the world of social media. Now, how do vehicles make it out of the factory and, and just, just flounder. Like it just, just can't just terrible piece of equipment. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, um, I mean, I think like the underlying car is is pretty decent. We don't rate it as highly as some other publications that might have given it an award. But, you know, the underlying car is 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 pretty decent. And I think, you know, they will probably get this right. But it is it is surprising to come from GM. I mean, we've talked a lot on this show about Lucid and and all this sort of startup brands, Tesla themselves had a, you know, tended to throw the cars early to market and let the early adopters sort them out. So they almost use Tesla particularly, and I think Lucid's done the same, is get vehicles into market, start the cash flowing, and you know a lot of customer feedback in the first year will help you fix stuff. And even um, Rivian, which is generally, our Rivian, which has generally been a lot more reliable than the Lucid, that's had a ton of things that have just been done to it over time as they've just learned more and more. Yeah. And to be fair to Lucid, our Lucid Air has got better and better as well. So there's a difference here. Like a lot of the stuff with the with the new cars can be software based. So we know, for example, that the new Fisker hasn't got cruise control at the moment, but that's coming because it's a software issue. 
what's surprising here is this is GM and the expectations from the consumer are just different. You know, a lot of lucid customers, certainly early on, will probably accept will accept some issues in, you know, to have the the latest shiny thing. I think when you're General Motors and there's enormous amount of pressure on you to get the whole EV thing right, and you're facing a Tesla with what 70 percent of the market share, and you know Ford's in Ford's done well with the Lightning, well, it's having a few hiccups at the moment. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure there, and it's it's to me it's surprising that we're having the issues that we are, and that there's not a quick solve because this could be over the air updates, and it's just a software thing. But it also seems that there's some hardware issues as well, which is why we're not getting the vehicle back. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty shocking for for a manufacturer of that scale in a in a world where you have so much pressure to get this right. I mean, you know, people are struggling to make money on EVs. People are struggling at the moment to sell EVs, certainly for a price that people want to buy them for. And you know, this stuff doesn't help. It really doesn't. It's like, well, either I'll buy a Tesla because they seem to work okay. Or I'll just stick to my ice car. Do you, do you think the luxury car buyer is more forgiving? Because you, you know you point out you point out Tesla, Lucid, on some extent Rivian. Like these are not inexpensive cars. So being sort of a first adopter and wanting to get the cool new piece. Uh, maybe that buyer is a little more forgiving. Maybe that buyer has more than one car. Um, but yeah, it seems like, okay, but Chevy, Blazer, EV, the audience that they're going after, I'm not saying it's a cheap car. I'm just saying it's not as expensive as Lucid, right? So uh, this is probably their only car and it needs, it has higher expectations of reliability, I think. Than, than say Lucid coming from GM and coming from the price point and the customer. Uh, that's just kind of my thought is I, I think I think this is a, a tough blow for GM on this vehicle. Yeah, if we go back to like the Bentley conversation that we kicked off this show with, the Bentley Flying Spur does not have wireless Apple CarPlay, which is shocking really Yeah, when you think about the money. And it, and the USB ports in the front are USB A rather USB B and not USB C. Yeah, which again it feels very dated today. But I think if you're buying a Bentley small volume manufacturer, you sort of even with the power of the Volkswagen Group behind it, you kind of accept those things to a certain point, even though it might wind you up a bit. I mean, you do, but I, I'm driving an Audi; it has wireless CarPlay, so why couldn't they put it in the Bentley? Yeah, but that I mean that's to do with the generation of the technology. So you've got older technology. And then you've got like the lucid customer who the first customers probably want the shiny new thing, tech tech people, that sort of thing, and are willing to accept certain things. But I also know a lot of customers because they've got certain customers who just weren't willing to accept that and didn't expect it. The difference with Tesla was Tesla started this and for probably a decade pretty much had the market to themselves. So if the build quality on the Model S wasn't great or when the Model 3 came out, the build quality was pretty lousy. But they were the only game in town. So if you wanted a, a Tesla with a fancy screen and everything else, you were willing to accept stuff. stuff. And now Tesla's got to the point where the cars are well-made, they're reliable, and now they have a different audience. I mean, people are buying a Model Y today because it's cheap and because it's 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 a cheap and accessible way to the EV market. 
which is very different from where they were a few years back. You know, GM, this is about taking people. I mean, it's called a blazer. You know, it's about taking traditional customers and converting them to EVs. So it's a very different situation. I think, you know, you're just not as forgiving because you look at the scale of the company and think you should be able to get this right. I think they will get it right. There's just too much at stake. But it's it's definitely a blow, and I think there's probably a few people within GM had a pretty bad holiday season. And there and there's a lot of things on the list. Again, I mean, I I I have the Ford Lightning you can see behind me, and I've gotten a few letters in a recall. There's I don't know something with the taillight plastic leaks, gets water in it or something like that, and a couple things. Um, but I haven't had any issues with it. Uh, nothing's broken. Everything's worked. So I'll bring it in at some point soon. Um, and and yeah, I get it. It's kind of a new thing for them. So there's going to be a few things they want to fix. Um, but the list of things wrong on on this Blazer EV is is quite robust. And you mentioned they they flew an engineer out to try to fix this. I'm like, fix what? Because I don't I I mean, is is the body control module guy the same guy as the 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 guy who does the adjustable seat memory, because how does one engineer go through and look at these issues? It sounds like they need a, a team of people. There's just yeah. more than you would expect. And I think a lot of this you can do over the air because you can sort of analyze a lot of it, but it's, it's yeah. And, and ultimately this is, this is basically put us in a position where we can't, we can't use the vehicle. So now we're just waiting you know, waiting for it back. And obviously we're in a slightly different place. We're a publication. We've got access to, you know, we have 300 vehicles a year coming through the office. So it's not like we're we're desperate for this vehicle. Um, but it's, uh, you know, if you're a consumer, you rightly say this is, you know, this is a $60,000, $70,000 vehicle, which is probably, you know, your only car or your primary vehicle. Um, so it's, it's, you know, EVs have had a lot of bad press recently about slowing slowing sales a lot of stories about a lot of you know including the mustang Mackey, where there's a lot sitting around on dealer lots trying to be sold and it's a it's a really kind of tricky point in the growth of the ev trying to fix the infrastructure trying to fix the price point and if you're then getting into bad press around reliability and dependability it's just not a it's not a good place to be but the other thing looking at this is this is not these are not the charging obviously is an EV related thing, but a lot of these things aren't. They're just sort of infotainment and everything else. So it's yeah, it's 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 a tough it's a tough situation. And you know, we've we've had conversations with GM, we've had conversations with other other manufacturers. I mean, the way this works is we're not out to get anybody. Edmund's remit is to say, is to say to the consumer, you know, would we advise you to buy this vehicle? It's to the way I think about it is the way the team thinks about it, hopefully, is you, you're standing in a pub. You know, it's like you and I going for a pint and you know nothing about cars. And you say to me, like, you know, what would you buy? Would you buy a Blazer EV or a Model Y? And that's that's the kind of advice that we're trying to give. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's a tricky place. Yeah. And listen, I, I, I think all the car companies, even the legacy car companies, are, are starting to figure out the more and more technology that they put into these cars and you're sourcing all of these pieces from from different manufacturers, different sensors and different motors and and everything has to be controlled by the same software, if you will, uh, the same computer basically running the thing. It's it's kind of tough to to make all of these hundreds and hundreds 
if not thousands of little bits of pieces that all have to tie into one piece of software that, you know, kind of runs and looks and data logs the entire car. Uh, you know, you, it's just kind of a, a tough thing to do as I'm sitting here staring into a laptop thinking, what are all the pieces in the laptop that makes it work? And then you think of all the different pieces of software that you install and it all has to kind of work with this machine and which ones slow it down, which ones crash, which ones it's like, that's basically what's happening with all the suppliers on, on a car. And in this particular case, they, they just have a bad time getting all of the supplier supplied pieces to, to talk to each other because <laughs> you're right. If, if a lot of it can be done over software, um, which you hopefully is the case, you don't want faulty hardware, right? Software is, is an easier solution, especially if it can be done over the air. But if they can fix a lot of this and just getting the computer to talk to all of these, these different components, then hopefully it'll, it'll get worked out sooner rather than later. And the other thing about it is if you think about it from a car company's perspective, you are hiring very different people today than you were even 10 years ago. You know, like Ford took on some, a senior executive from Apple to help them with, uh, you know, and that will come with a heavy stipend to, uh, you know, to help them develop EV and software technology. Same with Lucid, actually. They have a senior Apple, uh, somebody from Apple. So it's not, you know, these are not mechanical engineers or chemical engineers they used to be. These are basically software software people developing you know developing cars it's a it's a very different company it's very different mindset and you're right yeah i mean we, you and i have it pretty easy we sort of sit here we drive the cars around and we say oh yeah the glove box is a bit small <laughs> you know you think <laughs> yeah. i understand the the context of what goes into that but at the end of the day no matter how complex they are how much they cost and everything else how much engineering might is behind them you're still giving it to a consumer and asking for 60 grand and saying, here is a product. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So yeah, it, it's I, tough. I mean, I hope GM sorts it out. I mean, Honda's going to be looking at this and saying, hang on a minute, we're launching the Prologue and Acura, the ZDX. Uh, and obviously there's a whole lot bunch of Ultium vehicles that are coming down the pipeline. Silverado EV, Equinox. There's a whole bunch of... Um, bunch of cars coming down it so yeah. that that you know that they're about Cadillacs. to launch and Cadillacs, Cadillacs and Hummers and yeah yeah it's uh I don't know it's gonna be be kind of kind of interesting but honestly like I was saying before if you said the Hummer or the Cadillac had all of these issues I think we're more forgiving I I just think that customer is a little bit more forgiving than the the Chevy Blazer customer yeah, and it's it's hard. I mean, I had a Fisker the other day, and we had some issues with with that, which they're working through. And I got out of it, and um, our family cars are Genesis GV60, and it's not as arguably not as cool as the this Fisker. You don't have like California modes where all the windows go down, and yeah. but I got it's just so beautifully engineered, and everything works, and it works. Yeah, and it's it's just the whole thing feels so beautifully considered. There's a few things I don't like about it still, but it's. Yeah, you don't need like I trade six. I don't need five hundred horsepower. I'm quite happy with three hundred and fifty if everything works. You know. Yeah. Well, maybe. Kind maybe like five hundred horsepower. <laughs> depends what you're doing with it. I, yeah, I guess it depends what you're doing with it. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, I just want to quickly touch on the uh, North American Car Truck and Utility Utility Vehicle of the Year. 
um, this isn't the Edmonds Awards, which uh, which we we have covered, but this is um, uh, also something that you're a part of. Yeah, so the Edmonds top rated awards are, are launching at the end of January. This is the, uh, as you say, North American uh, Car Truck and Utility or NACTOY, as it's more more familiar known. I mean, it's a it's an award. I was I was asked to be a juror and uh, proud to be so. It's a, you know it's a award with a lot of prestige behind it, um, and there's about 50 people involved and we all have a vote and there's some finalists that are launched that are announced at the LA auto show. And then the winners were announced in Detroit today. Uh, and of course it's like anything else when you, when you're not, this is not one publication. This is kind of, kind of fairly broad spectrum of people voting. So you're always kind of interested in how it, how it shakes out. But so I think the, the Toyota Prius won the car. Yes. Uh, the um, Kia EV9 won the utility of the year. And then the Super Duty F two fifty, the Super Duty Ford won the um, won the truck of the year. Yeah, uh, Prius. I was expecting EV nine has really been doing well. I was expecting uh, that as well because the Telluride was so successful and such a good car. Having the EV nine, the EV version of it, although price a, a little expensive, I expected. Um, I don't know. I to truck of the year. Ford Super Duty. I mean, not that yeah, that was one. With it. it was just I, I don't know whether I could officially say what I voted for. I didn't, but that was the one that surprised me. Shall we say the Super Duty? I think you know the Colorado is a is a great truck. The Chevy, the midsize, uh, but also the Super Duty is, you know, it's a fantastic working truck. It's the it's the sort of you know we always say like the heartbeat of America, and they've done a done a good job updating it. So yeah. All right. Well, there's the list of the of the three winners. Um, yeah, awesome. I think the Prius, I mean, the Prius, it was the Prius and the um, Ionic 6, which were probably the front runners for car. Okay. Uh, yeah. But the Prius is just a really good, you know, it looks cool now. It's got nice interior and it's very affordable. You know, it's under 30 grand. Uh, so there's a lot to be said for the Prius. And then the EV9 is a, just a great family SUV that's also an EV. So, yeah, not I'm not, I've got no, no no um issues with how my fellow jurors have uh have shaken this out so and then at the end of the month we've got the um edmund's top rated awards which is all about our testing process so we can talk about that then all right so we're gonna wrap things up um yeah until next week hopefully you guys like the video we're gonna we're gonna do more we're gonna figure out ways to bring in some gas and, and get my haircut prove the whole yeah maybe get a haircut maybe i'll get a haircut uh, improve the whole thing for you guys. So uh, if you uh, if you want to keep up to date on it, we appreciate if you subscribe to the channel. We always love that. And to subscribe to the Edmunds YouTube channel as well. Um, and uh, yeah, keep it flowing. Keep it flowing into your inbox. Is there anything anything else we're missing before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think that's all good. We have some, we have just had some good, um, if you want to check out like all the new cars this year, we just launched our A to Z film uh which actually features yours truly so that's worth checking out on youtube and you're gonna head out to ces so i'm heading to the consumer electronics show in vegas on monday uh there's actually a lot of a lot of automotive brands are there mercedes has got some big stuff going down hyundai kia honda volkswagen so it's becoming now the detroit auto show's dead this is uh oh sorry i should say not quite dead it's moved to the summer um you know ces has become more and more important and you know particularly in a world where everybody's talking about technology so i'm heading there monday tuesday so we talk about that next week yeah we'll have plenty to talk about 
All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. And until next time, keep the air and the spare in the bag and the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Oh, 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 oh,